And it's Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Great to be with you on this Saturday morning. This is Exploring Unexplained Phenomena, as opposed to what my friend Clyde used to say, Exploding <laughs> Explained Phenomena. <laughs> that is definitely an inside joke. Hey, with me over here on my left, but certainly not left out, is Jim Shorney, the superb coffee maker. Yes, I'm on KP duty this morning. Would you, would you like to tell the audience why? I, I don't mind at all. I, you know, look at look at my hands. They're reasonably not shaking, yeah, waiting yeah. for my, my official coffee uh, here on the show, Jack Reacher Coffee. I got up this morning bright and early and everything good and and got ready for the show and came out to the kitchen and realized that apparently, hmm, somebody didn't switch on the coffee maker. I looked at Mac in the backyard. He looked at me and said, what are you looking at me for, big guy? I thought, well, isn't that special? Well, I think we've all done that. So, Jim, you uh, you got assigned coffee making duties, mm -hmm. and it's percolating Hopefully, right now, as we speak, you did remember to push the I, button yes, in the light. I made sure on. I made sure it was. <laughs> no. And I've already had two cups this morning, so I I'm, don't uh, want it to be catching. You know. Yeah. Well, as I said, I've done it before. Uh, we've got a great show for you. Um, our main guest is first timer uh, Calvin Parker, and Calvin, along with Charles Hickson, back in 1973, had a UFO close encounter that was uh, really amazing. And uh, he's written a book now that talks about his personal story. We're going to start the show with Charlene with Pet Talk and then Lloyd Arbach, the parapsychologist with Invisible Signals. I'd like to thank the folks that called in last week and made donations. We are right about $2,000 away, as I'm reading this to you, from our goal wow. of $40,000. That's pretty awesome. So it could very well be covered by somebody or a group of people out there during this show. That's exciting. Um, last week we had Randy, Mr. Anonymous, Lisa, Robert, Jack, Jim, Aaron, and Jan that all called in donations. And we did uh, slightly over $700 last year, or excuse me, last week. So. We'd like to thank those folks for calling in donations and encourage those that haven't to go to kzum.org and make your online donations and earmark them for EUP. With today's technology, you can donate anytime, anywhere. We'd like to have you do that now as opposed to mm -hmm. later because procrastination sets in and you know you got to wash the car first and you got to call grandmother and you get in a so, hurry like like some people and forget to turn the coffee on or just forgetful <laughs> you're not going to let me live that down for a while are you uh, not for a little while well this coffee better be good then. Uh, it'll be good okay trust me so let's start the program here with charlene in the capital humane society and she should be right there hi charlene good morning it's great to be with you. How are things at the Capital Humane Society? Things are going really well. We're gearing up for a busy day. We hope a lot of people come in and choose to adopt one of these wonderful animals. Okay, and what's going on? Anything special at the Capital Humane Society or events coming up? 
Uh, we do still, we're still having our phone on, so people are still getting calls. We are trying to raise funds to uh, continue to operate two facilities and care for thousands of animals that come through our facilities. Our um, annual dinner will be coming up, and that is October 26th, and you can find great information on our website at capitalhumanesociety.org. Um, you can join us. You can donate items. So um, there's a great way to help by uh, being part of our dinner. This is Sherling with Pet Talk and the Capital Humane Society, our special connection helping people get dogs and cats and adopt them and bring home new members for the family. So we've got cats and kittens for adoption. Who do you want to start with today? We're going to start with Felix. The cat. And he is a very handsome, cat. yeah, handsome yeah. black cat, four years old, short, shiny fur. Uh, surrendered because his former family moved, and he's very sweet. Gets along with the other cats in his colony and just deserves a great new home. What a beauty. Nobody. Uh -huh. So you're probably not even old enough, Shirley, to remember the Felix the cat, the wonderful, wonderful <laughs> cat. Anyhow. I think this one qualifies. He yeah. is a wonderful cat. Felix is joined by... Next up is Derby, and Derby is a very cute orange tabby cat, kind of stretched out on his bed there, just a young cat, a year old, a neutered male, a really just a relaxed, loving guy, wants to find a great home where he can just purr and purr all day long. Okay, and we've got these two great cats. Pictures of Felix and Derby are up at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. Take a look, follow along at home. Felix Derby, and then there's... Next up is Stella, and Stella is a beauty. She's a calico. She's looking to be your one and only cat. Uh, she's about three years old, short fur, beautiful again. I'm looking for a home without other cats or kids, but she'll make a great lap cat for the right person. Oh, okay, and Stella is on page four. Wow. I know, lots yeah. of kitties. Beautiful, beautiful markings. I like that. Black and white uh -huh. with a little brown and just uh, what a pretty cat. Yeah, pink nose, white whiskers, big bright yeah. eyes. Such a, a good-looking girl. Yes, she is. Well, we could you could have just a stellar weekend with Stella. Uh -huh. And Stella could go home with you this morning because they're open, guys and gals, mm -hmm. today and tomorrow. We are. We're open. Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 5.30 at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center. You know, you could stop by on your way to the game, adopt a cat, and I'm sure they'd hang on to it for you after till after the game so you can pick it up. How about that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Felix Derby and Stella. Sure yeah, I'm not sure that we can hold them, but we would love for people to adopt. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, three great cats. Pictures are up of Felix, Derby, and Stella at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. And uh, let's go to dogs now. We're going to start with Ace, a black and white pit bull, just five months old. So Ace is a puppy full of puppy <laughs> energy. Needs somebody who has loads of time to provide training. Um, but he will do very well with experienced owner. He is looking for a home without kids because he's pretty funky. Um, but again, with training and guidance, he's going to be a very loyal friend. 
Uh, what a great looking picture and uh, cool markings. Uh, Ace, good looking dog, could be the right dog for you. Okay, who's joining Ace? Uh, I'm going to say Mila. You might say Mila. She's a two-year-old coon hound, a very bright-eyed gal, very vocal. So hounds can be known to be uh, dogs that bark quite a bit, and she does like to express herself. So she may not be great in an apartment setting, um, but she is a nice dog looking for a family that has the time to provide some training, loads of exercise, and she is also looking for a home without children. Okay, cool. Her picture is up at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. Ace, Mila, or Mila, and who's our third dog? Jackson, and he is a very adorable beagle, about a year old. He's just a nice guy. He just, you can see he's sitting there in his photo, and he loves to sit and get a little snack. Um, reward for for being such a good boy. He just is looking for a nice family that will provide him with proper care and exercise and a loving home. And I'm going to do a, a audible here and also add baby girl because I think she's been there probably the longest of most of your dogs. You're right about that. Yep, since December. And she is really a nice dog, just needs a home without other dogs or cats or kids. So it can be a little hard to find the right home, but she really is a lot of fun, and she's so smart. She sits, she lays down, she's learning to leave it. Um, she walks very nice on her leash. Um, so we know the right family is out there, and mm -hmm. we hope that baby girl might find her home today. You guys and gals could make my weekend by giving me a call later on and saying, guess what, we adopted baby girl. And <laughs> she's cute. What a yeah. great dog. Okay. Uh, Online at CapitalHumaneSociety.org, take a look at pictures of Ace, Myla, Jackson, and Baby Girl, or go out and see them today or tomorrow. And our Pilot Pet Adoption Center will be open today and tomorrow from 11 to 530. Okay, Charlene, go Big Red, and thank you for all that you do. Thank you for all you do. Have a great day. That was Charlene and... The Capital Humane Society, our opening segment, Pet Talk. Next up is the parapsychologist Lloyd Arbach. Our main guest today is Charles, excuse me, is Calvin Parker. And uh, I'm Scott Colborn, waiting for that coffee pot to brew. Uh, I noticed uh, as we had uh, Charlene on that we were getting some clipping and a little bit of a dropout in the signal. Um, I listened to another radio station this morning. They were also experiencing that. So I don't know uh, what's going on. It could be uh, across the spectrum for a lot of radio stations, but we'll, we'll try to keep uh, on top of that. Okay, Lloyd Arbach is coming up next. Lloyd is the parapsychologist that is in demand by TV and motion pictures. He offers online classes through the Rhine Institute. He's a um, board member for Forever Family. And he's got something special happening just hours from now. Lloyd, good morning to you. Good morning, Scott. What's going on today at Reddit? Uh, Reddit's asked me to do uh, a session called Ask Me Anything where people will be doing that, I, I suppose. I've never done this before for them. 
I've done something similar for Facebook before, but they uh, their paranormal uh, end will they got me in there, um, kind of like an open question type thing. So I'll be doing that for two hours um, from two to four Eastern time, and uh, kind of looking forward to it. Okay, I've got a, a web address here for folks. Reddit is R-E-D-D-I-T, so go to reddit.com slash the letter R slash paranormal, and that takes you right to the page. Reddit, R-E-D-D-I-T dot com slash R slash paranormal. Indeed, you know, I was thinking, Lloyd, since I, I heard about this yesterday, Given the opportunity, what would I like to ask a parapsychologist? Okay. Um, when, when did you start in this field? Well, I count my official start in the field when I entered graduate school, which would have been 1979, the fall of 1979. Mm -hmm. But I had an interest as a kid, and actually started a parapsychology club in my high school, um, which would have been around 1972. Uh, 71, 72 is when we started the club. I was back in New York in a suburb of New York called Elmsford, New York, mm -hmm. uh, right near Sleepy Hollow, in fact. <laughs> and uh, had a lot of students. I mean, it was a small high school, but we had quite a lot of students who were very interested. And because of the club and because of a couple of my neighbors, I was very fortunate to be able to meet a couple of um, very major names in parapsychology at the time, Gertrude Schmeidler and Montague Ullman, both of whom live fairly close to me. And, uh, you know, I also got to be a guest with some of the, some of the other students on Long John Nebel's radio show talking sure. about parapsychology. Sure. Yeah. That, guy that was, was all while I was in high school. Wow. Uh, Lloyd, uh, what, what prompted this interest? Did you did you have anything happen when you were a, a boy growing up? I, not that I can remember. Um, I it, for me it was really comic books and, and TV and such. But you know, a couple of years ago, I I had Marilyn Schlitz, who at the time sure. mm -hmm. had, had just finished her tenure as the president of the Institute of Noetic Sciences. We had her speak at John F. Kennedy University, and she talked about what prompted her interest as a kid was having a near-death experience after ingesting some, uh, as a kid, as kids sometimes stupidly do, ingesting some some household chemical oh, God. that, you know, poisoned her. So she had a near-death experience. She was a little bit older. I think she was six or seven at the time. So it got me thinking because when I was three years old, my appendix burst. And I, you know, I have vague memories of, being in the hospital afterwards, and I have to wonder if I had some other kind of experience when that happened. Mm -hmm. They might have done that. I, I really don't know. Um, for me, again, I, for me, it really was an interest in science fiction, comic books, um, and then TV shows pushed me in that direction. Mm -hmm. When Lloyd Arbach gets together with extended family, uh, does the conversation of parapsychology pop up? Sometimes, um, I don't think too, you know, too many of my family members 
are not too many are interested. I have one cousin who is very interested. Uh, she and I kind of grew up together. She was she only lived a couple of blocks from me, and she's only two months younger than me. So, in fact, I, I took her to um, a Forever Family Foundation event when I was back in New York in May. I was speaking at an event with Kim Russo on Long Island. Kim Russo, the medium who's often on television. And so Anne did come with me to that. But most of my, most of my family is not terribly interested in that. Um, I do have an uncle who is a radio newscaster. Um, he's retired, of course, now. But he was a very well-known radio newscaster in New York on WMCA Radio, and he was a bit of a skeptic. So I grew up with a skeptic in the family, and we had many, many discussions growing up when I was, when I was growing up. When we have a chance to uh, meet people that are skeptical and yet open-minded, what's the best thing that we can do to help them get educated? And that's predicated on the idea that they would want to. Well, you know, there's really a couple of things here when we're talking about psychic experience, whether it is ESP experience or, you know, mind over matter or ghostly types of things. The thing that I find that skeptics, open-minded skeptics, are um, really impressed by is the fact that so many people have had these experiences. And raising the issue of why science doesn't want to do anything about these, really look at the experiences. They, most of the skeptical community and a lot of scientists just write this off. They just basically come up with explanations that without looking into individual cases, don't often make any sense at all. They certainly don't work across the board for people's experiences. So I find that open-minded skeptics are impressed by the idea that people have these experiences, and technically, parapsychologists should not be the only ones looking into them. I mean, if we're going to be dumped on by, by these closed-minded skeptics, because we're looking at these experiences when we shouldn't be because they say they're impossible. Well, there's really not too many questions around human experience that should be taboo. We should be looking at the experiences. We should be looking at what's causing them. And maybe we're wrong about what we think is causing them, but the fact that we're the only ones doing it is incredibly unscientific. And I find the skeptics are very impressed by that argument. Mm-hmm. That, and, you know, I do tell them that how much, how much evidence there really is, how much research there really is, and that our field has actually, by people who are open-minded skeptics in other fields, when they take the time to look at our research, they may not agree with our interpretations, but they do note that we have some of the best controlled scientific research out there. Lloyd, if people listening would like to read one of your books, that would be um, a good suggestion for them. I know which one I would recommend, but what would you recommend to them? Well, I think most people are, you know, it really depends on their interests. I think a lot of people are interested in their own dreams, so my book Psychic Dreaming would be really good. I think that... um, Frankly, my Mind Over Matter book, which I think is the book that you're thinking of, uh, that that book, because it covers a wide range of normal, what we consider normal, Mm -hmm. though extraordinary human experiences, Mm -hmm. such as the experiences of athletes and extraordinary performance, I think that one would be very interesting to people because of the approach. 
But if people are interested in the ghostly end of things, I think one of the most approachable books that I've got is one, even though it's about San Francisco, was the one I wrote, I co-wrote with the, the uh, late psychic medium Annette Martin called The Ghost Detective's Guide to Haunted San Francisco. Because in that book, people get the feeling, this is what I've been, we've been told by people, they get the idea that, that they're along on an investigation with a parapsychologist and a psychic. So they get the, they get the real kind of impression from reading that, what it's really like. Oh, good. And our our thoughts about this sort of phenomena. Mm -hmm. Well, Lloyd, I hope you have a great experience at Reddit. Um, I noticed that there was somebody that had commented in that thread that said, my my professor. So you're going to have at least one fan on there today. And I hope you have lots of great questions. If I could ask you to leave us with something, Lloyd, for folks out there that have seen a movie or a TV show and they want to get into investigating ghosts, what's a good first step for them? Well, I actually do think that the book I just mentioned, The Ghost Detective's Guide to Haunted San Francisco, is a good way to find how, how the real deal happens. You know, we don't do things like they do on TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't investigate in the dark. We don't use tons of equipment because there's a lot of reasons not to. Uh, there are good reasons to use it, but not the reasons you see on television because there's no equipment that can really detect ghosts at this point. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, if people have a real interest, we are um, starting an eight-week online course for the Ryan Center on October 8th on field investigations of psychic phenomena, so basically apparition tauntings and poltergeists. And um, if people go to Rhine, R-H-I-N-E dot org, uh, they will see the education link over on the left-hand side. The course is being put up for registration later this week, so it's not up there yet. But that's one good step if people are truly serious. The course is not that expensive at all. Excellent. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Lloyd, always good to talk with you. Thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you, Scott. Lloyd Arbach, L-O-Y-D, Arbach, A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H. And you know what? Lloyd also might even have questions about chocolate because he is a chocolatier. I always find that interesting that that here is this world-renowned parapsychologist who's also very interested in chocolate. I noticed that a lot of people out in the listening audience suddenly perked up when I said that word. (laughs) So he'll be at Reddit today, and that's R-E-D-D-I-T dot com slash R, that's the letter R, slash paranormal. And it's from 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock Eastern, which is 1 to 3 Central. It's an AMA, which stands for Ask Me Anything. Our friend and colleague Lloyd Arbach on Reddit today. We'll take our bottom-of-the-hour break, and then we'll be back with... Calvin Parker. Calvin is our main guest today talking about Pascagoula, the closest encounter, my story. I'm Scott Colborn, and it's great to be with you. We'll be right back after this.
Support for KZUM comes from the Nebraska Recycling Council, helping to protect the natural environment and extend the life of our landfill, reminding Lincoln and Lancaster County that corrugated cardboard will not be accepted at the landfill. For more on recycling services and area drop-off sites, nrcne.org or 402-436-2384. My name is Jason Varga. I'm the executive director of Cause Collective. So I've been listening to uh, KGM for almost 40 years, believe it or not. My stepdad, when I was young, had a show and he brought me on. So my first experience was was really fun. I was, of course, shy to say something, but we did... Uh, I think we did a little PSA for, for Casium, and that was that was near 40 years ago. Um, about three years ago, Cause Collective started a wonderful partnership with Casium, and um, we're able to have our own show on there, uh, which helps our members, other nonprofits, agencies, uh, educate the community and the listeners uh, about what's going on in Lincoln. So that's been a great partnership. And I think if there were no Casium, uh, Lincoln would be much worse off you know it's 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 proven throughout the years the many years it's been around uh, its effectiveness and with the the number of listeners that tune in and i hear each week say how how much they like not just the music but learning about the community and all the the variety of music and the emphasis with local music it's a it's just invaluable what uh, the listeners in lincoln are getting This is Jason Varga encouraging you to give to KZUM now at kzum.org or 402-474-5086, extension 1. This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And from the Lincoln Symphony Orchestra presenting Ben Folds in concert with the Lincoln Symphony Orchestra on Friday, September 28th, 7.30 at the Leeds Center. Tickets and more at lincolnsymphony.org. And the Bourbon Theater presenting the Marcus King Band live on Tuesday, September 18th at 8 p.m. Touring in support of the EP Due North, the Marcus King Band brings soul influence to its southern rock sound. Tickets on sale now at the box office and bourbontheater.com. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping big brothers, big sisters help a child. Start something today at bigbrothersbigsisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. 
Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Scott Colborn with Jim Shorney, and we are exploring unexplained phenomena. Again, thank you so much to the folks last week who donated to nonprofit, non-commercial, independent KZUM radio. And if you'd like to do that and support us, right now as we sit and as we talk to you, we're about $2,000 away from the goal of $40,000. It's so important that we hit that because the Corporation for Public Broadcasting requires us to hit a incredibly high level, in my opinion, about $320,000 to qualify to get grants and matching funds. And so we've done that for the last couple of years in a row. Our fiscal year ends in September, so it's so important to have you step up now. It's been important all along, but this is really crunch time now. Wouldn't it be great, Jim, if we had somebody during this program today that basically wiped out the whole $2,000? That would be awesome. Um, the chances of that happening are probably small. But we have but the best listeners in the world, so you never know. What are the chances of a whole bunch of people at $89.30 going online to KZUM.org or $60? Or $60. Or $35. Yeah. So we really need to reach that goal, and we're about $2,000 away. So 474-5086, that's area code 402 Four seven four five zero eight six. Extension one will take your donation, or online at kzum.org. Next up is first-time guest Calvin Parker. Calvin's been quiet over the years about what's happened to him in 1973, and as he and us have grown older, he feels it's time to put that all down in writing, to tell his story, to be able to help both himself in terms of closure, and also help people understand that we are indeed not alone, that we're being visited. Please welcome, from Mississippi, Calvin Parker. Hi, Calvin. Good morning. How are y'all this morning? Thank you, sir. What? Where do you make your, your home in Mississippi? I'm currently in Moss Point, Mississippi. I live right on the river that uh, I got abducted on in 1973. The Pascagoula so River. You live just, right there. I'm, I'm on it. I can take my boat and be where uh, this happened in 25 minutes. And so, I love it down here. I also grew up fishing, so I appreciated that part of the story and why you were out there that night. Did this experience at all put you off from fishing, or have you kept that up most of your adult life? No, I've kept it up most of my adult life. If anything, it encouraged me to fish because I, 
I got to where I didn't want to be around people any at all after this happened, and I made it fine just going out on a boat by myself and fishing and being right there with just me and my friends and family. So, uh, no, it encouraged me to fish. We're aware, Kelvin, as we're talking to you, that uh, we're getting lots of pops and crackles on that phone line. So um, if it continues, we may try to call you back here, okay? Okay, that'll be fine. Okay. Maybe that'll get better now. Uh, and again, I want to get into the story here, but I also want to have people get a sense of of kind of who you are as a person. Um, were you born and raised in Mississippi? Uh, no, I was born in Seminole, Texas. I spent a lot of my life in Mississippi, my childhood, uh, some of my best memories. Uh, and then it was kind of all over because I worked in the oil field. My father worked, you know, different places, so we traveled a lot. We've been in Nevada, Arizona, Texas, so just all over the country. And then after this happened... I just followed jobs around, and uh, we just been everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so what was the – I tried to kind of tell the audience this when we started the show, but what's the idea behind writing the book? Why did you do it? Well, for, for so long, when this happened, I didn't talk to my family. I didn't tell them what happened. I didn't tell none of my friends what happened, and nobody's ever asked me that I knew. I mean, there'd be certain people asked, like reporters or things, but I've never talked about this to anybody. And uh, we just decided it was time to sit down and uh, tell people what was going on. And I'm actually, you know, I'm getting at the age where it's kind of an expiration date on my head. And I didn't want to leave this whole world and leave everybody in the dark mm-hmm. about what's going on. So I decided to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And usually when a man's pretty well on his deathbed, he's going to try to get as close to factual as what he can. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope that you're nowhere near that deathbed. I hope you've got a lot of, uh, a lot of time left. When did you graduate from, from high school? What was the approximate year? Uh, well, I never really graduated, but that was in um, probably 71, 72 yeah, I think, when I quit. I actually think I'm, I'm probably older than you are, so you've got some, you got some years ahead of you. Before I dig well, in the story here. Well, I don't here, know so much about Yeah, before I dig in the story, uh, Calvin, again, this is uh, not connected with your experience, but when a guy goes fishing on the Pascagoula River, what do you catch? Well, it's a combination of freshwater fish and saltwater fish because the water at times is brackish, and at times it's fresh, and at times it's salt. I mostly fish for saltwater fish now because they're bigger fish, and uh, you can catch them pretty well year-round. Then July and August, I fish for catfish up the river, so, you know, 20 minutes to my house, I can be salt water or fresh water. It's a perfect scenario for about anybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, along the way, you got married. Uh, when you met your wife, did you tell her about what happened in 1973? 
Well, it was so much media attention on it, you didn't have to tell her because everybody knew. <laughs> okay. Uh, we were actually engaged to get married in, in October. We was going to get married in November the 9th of the, that following month. Yes, sir. So uh, I took a job on the coast, and when I came to the coast and that happened, you know, everybody knew down there, and I figured it would kind of uh, eliminate the marriage. I didn't. I, that's what I was thinking in my mind. Who wants to marry somebody who's been abducted by an alien or something? But it didn't. You know, it all worked out fine. Mm-hmm. And she's been with you all these years then? We, we've been together. I mean, there's been times in there where we wasn't together. But by, by the largest general percent of the time, we've been together all these years. Mm-hmm. We've never lost contact even this uh, this abduction has put a big strain on our marriage, and one reason I wouldn't ever talk about it, and, and it was actually her ideal to do this book, and then it worked out where Philip Mandel had called about this same time, and I didn't know him from anybody, but uh, he knew that I was having a lot of trouble with the media and having trouble getting this out. Uh, because the media is bad about changing something to make it a little more exciting than what it is. So he said, Calvin, just let this be your legacy. Write this book. It's your legacy. It's down. Nobody can change it. It's there. That's what it, That's what it's about. And he was right about it. And I'm glad I went ahead and did mm-hmm. done that. Of course, I really didn't have the education to write a book. I'm, and... Uh, he said, well, I'll help you what I can. We'll do it chapter by chapter. So I'd write a chapter, and I'd send it in, and he would go over. But he knew how I felt about changing things. So he left a book in my words. He didn't try to get the grammar right in it. and Or, you know, to correct a lot of... We spell things a little different here in Mississippi than what they do in uh, London. He didn't try to correct it, make it proper in their language. And I appreciate that out of him. And he knew that's what I wanted. The book, as I, as we talked about it, as I told it. And that's the way that it is. It's just like sitting there and listening to me tell a story. Mm-hmm. If, if you had a chance to uh, go back to that night on October 11th, 1973, and... Your friend that you worked with, Charles Hickson, said, Hey, Parker, let's go fishing. Would you go with him? No, I wouldn't. Not if it was going back. This completely crashed my life. It completely changed my life. Uh, It's not easy going through that to start with. And the main part of going through the abduction and all wasn't near as bad as the after effects of living with going through the abduction and the harassment. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people, they get out of high school or they get them a job. They work the same job all their life. They buy a car, uh, I mean, buy a house, pay for it all their life, and always have a car note. That's something that I missed. Uh, it, it wasn't like that. I didn't buy a house up until I got older and get pinned down with a note all my life and all. That's what I wanted, just a normal everyday life. And it's been everything but normal. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, we're so talking. say no, I wouldn't go. We're talking with Calvin Parker. Calvin's written a brand new book called Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter, My Story. A website for Philip Mantle's publishing company. Or you can read more about Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter, My Story. The website is flyingdiscpress.blogspot.com. And uh, you'll also find Calvin Parker on Facebook. And uh, after the facebook.com, it's backslash and then fishing salty. I like that. <laughs> that was fun to read that. Uh, Calvin's our special guest this morning, and we'll be talking about uh, what happened on October 11th, 1973. And also some of the things that happened subsequently. I'm Scott Colborn. You're listening to Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. I understand, Calvin, that, that you and Charles Hickson, uh, that you worked together. We did. Uh, matter of fact, we didn't work together long. I was in the oil field you know, living in Laurel, Mississippi, and Charles was living on the Gulf Coast. And I was working seven days a week, 16 hours a day. And I knew I was fixing to get married. And I wanted to be able to take time and be with my family and all. So I called Charlie and asked him for a job, which a normal job. And to me, that would have been at the shipyard that I knew he was working. He told me to come on down. So he gave me a job. And uh, I came down and talked to him and was going to start the next day which this was about October the 9th, and I got abducted October the 11th, and I left the Gulf Coast October the 13th. So I didn't stay down here alone until mm -hmm. I went back uh, home to Laurel, went back in the oil field. Mm -hmm. um, so, did you guys, on the night of uh, October 11th, had you work that day, or how did you make the arrangements to go fishing? We had worked all day, and... In South Mississippi, even in October, it's hot and humid here. Heck yes. So we had worked all that day until 5 o'clock, and uh, when we got off work, Charlie said, you know, let's just go fishing a little while, and we'll uh, cool down a little, go home, take a shower, and eat supper. So that sounded pretty good to me because it was hot, and it was, you know, just a gummy day. So we went by his apartment and picked up the fishing equipment, and that's that's how we ended up fishing for today. Mm -hmm. And this stretch, this is the day that changed my whole life right there. Mm -hmm. Now, there yeah. had been people... I, Go ahead, Kelvin. No, actually, I didn't... After the abduction, I didn't want to talk about it or to be uh, interviewed or nobody to find out about it, but that's what changed your life when the press picked it up. And they must have picked it up at night. The whole world knew about it, not only in the Mississippi or the Gulf Coast or the United States, but I'm talking worldwide. Mm -hmm. It made the press all over. Uh, if you had the opportunity, Calvin, to talk to some of the skeptics, there was an article by Joe Esterhaz in Rolling Stone 
where he said that um, if the event happened as you and Charlie described it, the area was in full view of two 24-hour toll booths, and Esterhaz said that neither operator on that toll booth saw anything that night. Uh, this was also apparently near the Ingol shipyard, and security cameras didn't pick up anything. What, what would you say to those well, skeptics? Well, I mean, it don't bother to me what people say or think, but in uh, just disclaiming what he said, it's not really a tow booth. It was a tow bridge, so all they do is open up when a boat calls in and let them in. Angles was a uh, half mile from there, so there wasn't no security cameras around that place. You know, people go running their mouths for things they don't know anything about. <laughs> now, the sheriff's department went and checked out the, they figured the guy in, in on Highway 90 in the high-rise bridge might have seen something. So they drove over there to uh, check and ask him if he had seen anything. And when they got there, he had his recliner with his back to the wall. He was leaned back, sound asleep, but he had his radio on so he could hear a, a boat or something called. And, it, you know, that would wake him up. Then he could let the bridge up and let him under. So, uh, you know, people that run their mouths, they need to uh, know a little bit more about what happens. Yeah. But like I say to me, it don't matter if they believe me or not. I put it out there like it is. In 2001, according to a uh, MUFON report, retired Navy Chief Petty Officer Mike Cataldo said that he observed an unusual craft at dusk on the same date, Calvin, as your experience. While he was traveling with crewmates Ted Peralto and Mac Hanna on U.S. Route 90 from Pascagoula to Ocean Springs, an object like a large tambourine with small flashing lights approached from the northwest and crossed the freeway before hovering over the tree line and disappearing. As he approached his home in St. Andrews, Ocean Springs, the craft made a second appearance at a lower altitude. So that seems to support what you and Charlie talked about. There has been several eyewitnesses come forward since then. Uh, well, even the Coast Guard sent out a cutter to investigate two fishermen that was fishing that said they had seen one under the water. And uh, they went out and investigated, and sure enough, they seen it, and it's documented in their report, and that's in the book, where they took one of the dock lines or one of the things they reached and grab a line with and, and bumped it, and it, then it left. And that's the, also documented just a day or two afterwards. And it's been several eyewitnesses that came forward mm -hmm. uh, to talk about this. And we have all that documented in the book. We have polygraph in the book. We have voice stress in the book. I mean, it, this book would stand up if you went to a court, court of law, and a jury listened to this uh book they would have to say well, you know and they use this book as a background they would have to say well you know it's enough convincible evidence 
that we believe it mm-hmm. because of the eyewitnesses and all, not mm-hmm. the polygraph, but because of the eyewitnesses. Well, Calvin, I'm really enjoying our conversation. I'm going to have my producer, Jim, um, call you back on a different line here. And so uh, go ahead and hang up now, and we're going to call you back here, okay, Calvin? Okay, good we'll try, deal. Yeah, we'll try to get a better connection here for you. So, um, Good deal, thank you. Yes, sir. Uh, this is Calvin Parker, and his brand-new book is called Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter, My Story. And what a story it is from October 11, 1973. And when we come back from the top of the hour break, we're going to get more and more into what happened on that night. I'm Scott Colborn, along with Jim Shorty, our special guest, Calvin Parker, and you guys and gals, we are exploring unexplained phenomena. Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln, and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated Butheris Mason and Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln, offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com. And from Friends of the Dog Parks, presenting the second annual Dog Bowl at Pinewood Bowl in Pioneers Park, Sunday, September 16th from 5 to 9. With over 25 vendors, food, live music, and more, this dog-friendly fundraiser aims to create awareness and support operations for Lincoln Dog Runs. More at lincolndogparks.org. Over 40 years on the air, KZUM has evolved in many ways as technology, tastes, the times, and our community have changed. For those four decades, listeners have generously kept KZUM on the air and ensured the growth necessary for an organization like this to navigate those changes. It's hard to say what the future media landscape or continued growth in our city will bring, but one thing is certain. With your help this week, the station will be in a great position to continue thriving along with our community. Please help sustain KZUM now by calling 402-474-5086, extension 1, or donating at kzum.org. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. 
Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. I'm Scott Colborn, and you're listening to Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Jim Shorney is here, and you guys and gals out there listening, it's great to have you with us. We're about $2,000 away from hitting the goal of $40,000 for the fundraiser for nonprofit KZUM Radio. And we'd love to have you call in or go online with a donation of $89.30 and support this wonderful experience. Just $2,000 away. It's so important to hear from you. And thanks so much to the folks last week that called in donations. The phone number here is 402-474-5086, extension 1. Or you can go online at kzum.org. Calvin Parker joins us from Mississippi. His brand new book is entitled Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter, My Story. Kelvin, would it be okay with you if we talked about what happened on that night in October 11th? Sure it would. I know that there was uh, perhaps a period of time that you didn't want to talk about it, and we don't need to go through the book from front to back cover, but I want to give a, the people a sense of what it was that you and Charlie experienced. Well, we were uh, we were fishing on the river and facing on the east bank of the river, what they call it. So we had noticed some hazy blue lights behind us, and we thought it was a patrol car to get us to leave the shipyard because we was on private property fishing mm -hmm. and it was a the shipyard was closed but it was still private property and we stood up and turned around and looked and that's when a real bright light just opened up and uh, almost a blinding light appeared and when that happened there was uh, three robotic looking creatures that came out Two of them got a hold of Charlie and one got a hold of myself and floated us aboard the uh, craft. Now, I was, I couldn't see Charlie because I couldn't move my head from left to right. I could just move my eyes, but nothing else. So they took us aboard, or took me aboard, this is speaking for myself, and put, us on an ex put me on an examination table at about a 45-degree angle. And then out of the ceiling, something that kind of similar to a deck of cards, about the size of a deck of cards, came down and got about a foot in front of my head. 
and then rotated around my head and it clicked four times and then it went back up into the ceiling. And that's when uh, a different looking uh, being came out. It was kind of a feminine looking being then. It came out and grabbed me by the cheeks or the face with her fingers and was pulling back and looking at my mouth and up my nose and putting her finger down my throat a little bit. And she backed up when I started coming to, and I could kind of hear, I couldn't see her mouth move, but I could, just like reading her thoughts, she was saying, don't worry, we're not going to hurt you. And then uh, she... Uh, that did, other thing come in, Kelvin. What did what did she, did she look like? What did she look like? Did she look like the others? No, she didn't. The one that picked us up was kind of a robotic-looking creature and moved with uh, just like mechanical-wise. Mm -hmm. But she more of a humanoid-looking creature. Now her skin was pale gray, but uh, other than that, didn't look too much different than what humans do. I mean, she, she had a mouth, a nose, ears, but... Uh, Eyes, she had hair she on top of her head? No, nah, she didn't have no hair that I could see. Okay. And I, I don't know why I was calling her a she, but it could have been a male. But I just figured it was a feminine looking, and and I did look. I, I mean, I turned around, turned my eyes. I couldn't turn my head, but I took my eyes and tried to look at her real good to see if I could uh, recognize maybe if that was somebody just playing with me and Charlie or, mm -hmm. you know, if it was something from somewhere else. Because it did cross my mind. The shipyard was down there, and they did build experimental things. And I was thinking, well, you know, might be some idiot out on a joyride just having a little fun with us. And that's, I wish it had been. But, uh, what happens next? You know, she had, well, after uh, she communicated with me kind of telepathically, she went back into another room and uh, she kind of mumbled a couple of times something. I couldn't hear what she said. It kind of clicked in her throat. And then this this same one that brought brought me aboard the craft came in and levitated me picked me up and floated me back out to the river and uh, we was facing the river I was facing the river Charlie was on the ground but I was facing the river with my arms stretched out and that's when I heard Charlie say Calvin Calvin you okay son and as soon as he said that I I was able to move again and I turned around and looked and that's when the light bright light disappeared and the craft just picked up and left and I mean it was fast too did it go straight so, up? It went straight up and then just disappeared. Mm -hmm. It would have been hard if you're driving down the interstate unless you was looking straight at it that, at that moment to see it pick up that fast and go. Because I was sitting there looking at it from where I was about 300 foot away, and it was so fast that it's just unbelievable. That's when I knew it wasn't a helicopter or, you know, something that we might have had unless it's some kind of experimental craft. So Charlie and I got, he, he said, well, let's sit down and talk about this. So we sat down on that old pier on an old log that we had pulled up. 
and I said, Charlie, I, I didn't see this. I didn't see nothing. Don't don't bring my name up. We hadn't seen this. Well, I, he said, I got to tell somebody. So that's when we walked back to the car. We got in the car and went to a little local store. And, uh, of course, back then you didn't have cell phones or anything where you could call. There right. was a pay phone there. Charlie got at the payphone and he called Keesler Air Force Base in Bloxy. And they told him, well, call your local authorities because we don't handle this stuff no more. And uh, so Charlie called the Sheriff's Department. That's when the Sheriff's Department drove over. It didn't take them but a few minutes to get there. Mm-hmm. And they checked the car and they checked us to see if we'd been drinking our own drugs or whatever we might be. Did their little field sobriety test. And then we followed them back to the sheriff's department. And that's when they took him in a room and interrogated, took me in a different room. Then they put us in a room together. And that's where what they call the secret tape come in. When we was in a room together, they had a tape recorder that they put in a drawer. I know this now, but I didn't know it then. Mm-hmm. So they put this tape recorder in the drawer so they could listen to what we was talking about. And I guess that's pretty standard practice if you got somebody that commits a crime or something. Yeah, they put you in a room, and they've got a tape recorder going, and they leave thinking that now that they're out of there, you guys are going to talk back and forth. Yeah, and we did talk back and forth, and we didn't know that the recorder was in there. Now, once they... uh, Come in, then they, I seen them come in and get something out of a drawer, but I didn't, still didn't know it was a tape recorder, and they went in there and listened to it, and the, the sheriff came in. Now, everybody says, well, maybe y'all was drinking it. No, if we'd been drinking it all, we never would have gotten a car to leave. He wouldn't have, they would have kept us there. We'd been in jail to this day paying fines. So, you know, the sheriff himself told us to go on home. And I told him, I said, Sheriff, I don't want nobody to know about this. Let's not tell the media. He told me, he said, we're not in the business of uh, the news media or spreading gossip. We're in the business of law enforcement. And we're just doing an investigation now. So the next morning when we got up and went back to work, I mean, it was a media frenzy. There, There was no way. Matter of fact, there was so much media there. The office called us in and said, we cannot conduct no business in this office. What happened to y'all? We got an attorney coming to handle all the media here. And uh, y'all going to have to leave or go home because our phones is just ringing off the hook. I mean, it was media calling from everybody. But when the attorney come, he made, when the attorney came, he made a... Uh, news release, I guess what you call it. He did a news release, a press release, and then he arranged for us to go to the local hospital to be checked out. And then we went to Keesler Air Force Base to uh, be checked for radiation and to be interviewed by their people there. And we had a real busy time. Then the day after that, Dr. John Allen Heinen came down and Dr. Harder and they did their thing, you know, where they hypnotized us and interviewed us and questioned us. But it, it got real hectic. Now, how the media found out, I don't know. I accused the sheriff's department of telling them because I don't think Charlie did. 
Maybe the guy at that but, store. Well, no, see, in Mississippi, at that time, there was blue laws, and everything shut down. If you had alcohol in your store, you shut it down at a certain time. You couldn't sell nothing. Gotcha. So the stores closed. Most everything was. They just rolled the streets up about 6, 7, 8 o'clock. So uh, what I figured, there was no cell phones, no computers or nothing, but everybody and their brother had a scanner that they listened to, and they scanned the sheriff's department and the fire department. So I'm figuring somebody had a scanner, and they probably heard them when they come picked us up. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Sure. That was the only thing I could figure out, the only way I could figure out that this might have got out, mm-hmm. unless the sheriff's department told them. And, and there's people that work there now that had been there all these years, and they say, you know, they swore that they, nobody mentioned it from there. Uh, uh, so, on. Calvin, you, you had that experience with your friend Charles Hickson on the night of um, October, October 11th, 11th, 1973. Uh, I, as a little bit of background, Calvin, for myself, I, I've been researching UFOs since 1974. Uh, I'm the former state director for the Mutual UFO Network for Nebraska the former international director for a group called the Fordian Research Center that we uh, investigated unexplained phenomena and and published a journal. And in 1988, because of people like yourself talking about their personal experiences, I co-founded a Extraordinary Experiences support group. And people like yourself got together. We met monthly. My job was to make sure that the coffee pot was full and I turned the lights on and kind of guarded the door to keep people out that that didn't have any business being there. And for two, three hours every month, these folks got together and talked about their experiences in a room where nobody would laugh at them, nobody would make fun of them. Uh, And we did that for many, many years. So I've got kind of a background in this issue and this this field. in the next couple of nights after October 11th, did you did you have any uh, unusual or out of the ordinary dreams? I I can't remember that right now. It was so much going on. Matter of fact, we didn't really sleep uh, from that night on. When, matter of fact, when I got back to the apartment that night, I pulled all my clothes off. Pull my shoes off, put them in a paper bag, took a shower and poured bleach on because I was afraid of getting contaminated with some kind of disease and radiation on. I throw my clothes away. And then the next day, of course, we went to uh, the hot local hospital there and we got an examination. And then we went to Keesler and that camp was busy. Then the next day, you know, I left going back to Laurel. So I went three days. I didn't even sleep. So when I laid down and went to sleep, I I slept good for a little while. Then I woke up and I was, started shaking uncontrollable. And uh, my brother took me to the emergency room at the local hospital. So I was having a nervous breakdown. And it was just a line of events and a lot of things that just you wanted to forget and you tried 
try not to remember. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much what went on. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you keep in contact with uh, Charles Hickson over the years? I've seen Charles a couple of times, but as far as contact and us speaking and talking about what went on, no, sir, I did not. Mm -hmm. Uh, When he wrote his book, did he... he did he contact you and tell you that he was going to write a book? Well, as a matter of fact, he did. Charlie came to me and he said, uh, him and William and Des was writing a book. And he said, I want you to sign off on it. He said, I'll give you a little percentage of the book if you do. And back in, I didn't care about it. So I signed the papers and I never seen a penny out of that book, never read the book, don't care to read it. I got a copy of it here in the house. So and actually what I was doing, I didn't wanna I didn't even want to hear about what had happened. Not to him, not to me, or didn't want to tell nobody. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to be away from that bull. Mm-hmm. And that's the route I took. I I would go find me a job somewhere and I'd work his job then when people found out where I was or the press found out where I was I'd just get up and leave you'd be surprised how hard it is in life to keep a job and being stalked and that's what it initially was it felt like you were being stalked by the media huh I I was being stalked but now uh, I understand why they did it was a story there and the people wanted to hear about it. And that's why I decided to do this book, because it's time to, to tell the people that I never talked to what really happened. Uh, I would, when I seen the press, if they come up, I'd tell them anything they wanted to hear and just get out of the way, or I'd threaten them or, or something. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just didn't want to talk about it. So. Now I've decided to talk about it, and I don't mind talking to them mm-hmm. because I've got control over the situation now. I can make appointments. I can sit down at my terms and talk to them, you know, when I decide to instead of them hunting me down on a job and wanting to talk and trying to destroy my life to, to make them look good in the news. Mm-hmm. So it's just been a catastrophe all the way around. Up until here lately, and I'm kind of enjoying, you know, sitting around talking about it now. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're at that place, uh, Calvin, where you can do so. Now, this next question, I want you to understand, Calvin, I mean this with the greatest respect to you. So please don't, oh, I understand. Please don't take this in, in any way except I, I, I'm trying to respect you. Uh, if Ask you anything if, you want. If you had a chance to stand before your mother and father with your hand on the Bible and testify that these experiences were true and they occurred to you, would you do so? Yeah, I'd stand in front of anybody with it. And I'm a firm believer in God, and I believe that, uh, you know, if you lie, I mean, and everybody tells a little lie every now and then, but I had... I had a good friend that asked me, just for an example, we were sitting around mm-hmm. uh, visiting one day. He said, where are you been? Now, this is when I started writing a book. I said, well, believe it or not, Steve, I'm writing a book. He says, writing a book about what? 
and I told him, he said, you know, we've told each other many lies because we fished together and stuff. <laughs> he said, but you never lied to me about this because you never talked about it. And my mother, uh, you know, I see her every day, and, and we talk. The first we talked about it is when this book come out, and I let her read the book. But she also had a part in there where her and my brother was in Ellisville, Mississippi, on their farm where she was living. And something happened there. The cattle all run to the back of the field, and the dogs started raising cane, and she walked outside, and it was a craft there. And she told me, Calvin's not here. I told them, Calvin's not here. Calvin's not here. Just kept saying that. And she said it left, and she figured they had come back after me. So oh, she knows my firsthand experiences about that experience. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. My brother, there's no doubt in his mind about it. Uh, of course, he's passed away now, but God you know, bless him. he's witnessed some things being around me. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, I wouldn't hesitate one bit to stand in front of anybody. Charlie, uh, if you had a chance to talk to that female again, in a situation that, that you felt safe and comfortable, what would you ask her? Well, I've thought about that. I really don't know, you know, until something like that happens, you really don't know what you'd ask them. Uh, because I would be afraid of the answer of what she might gave me if she was being honest. I feel like, uh, you know how they experiment with animals and things? I feel like all we are is a bunch of experiments here. And uh, I, it's just hard to describe my true feelings on this. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I'd ask her anything because I'd be afraid of the true answer about it. Would you uh, ask her if, 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 if she had a family? Uh, would you ask her about maybe whether or not she believed in God? Maybe you might say, well, uh, ma'am, why me? Well, I would definitely say, why me? And ever, ever culture of people in the world, even though we don't worship what I think would be the same God, but every culture of people, if you look around, they have a God that they worship. Now, I worship our God, Jesus Christ, and all that, but, uh, you know, I know that they probably worship some kind of God. Even the Mayans had, they would worship their own thing, you know. So, you know, I think in a way everybody believes in God, but maybe it's a different one than what we believe in. And I know that there's good people in this world, and there's evil, pure evil people in this world. And it's just in the human race. Right. There's good people in the human race and it's evil people in the human race. And personally, I think the evil ones are to be annihilated. I mean, if I had my choice about it, that's what would happen. But uh, I just can't see, understand people wanting to be mean for the pure sake of being mean. Calvin, if you went back in your mind, uh, having thought about this a, a lot, 
Was there anything that was unusual or out of the ordinary that happened to you when you were a young boy growing up before 1973? Yes, sir, I have to say that it was. And, I, and I'll go back for a timeline. I could put it around Kennedy's assassination. You know, that's about the time within a month or so of that. Uh, but my brother and I used to share a room in the house because we had a small house and we would share a room. And he woke me up screaming one night and said there was something pulling on my ear in there. And, of course, we thought it was a ghost. And I actually felt the presence of something in the room before he woke me up, and my ear was actually sore. And I believed him. And then he said that's been going on for a while. And he was legitimately scared. And it kind of scared me in a way. So, but yeah, it's been different things like that that's happened. I don't know if it's paranormal or could be imagination. I don't know exactly what it is, but mm -hmm. uh, I feel like there's something been going on. And if you ever had a chance to talk to your uh, parents, did they ever talk about growing up about things that were unusual or extraordinary? Well, I have talked to them about it. And, uh, you know, nothing really unusual you know, you, that they can think of, you know, mm -hmm. as hit. Except uh, for that experience that your mom talked about at the farm. Right, and that was after my... Uh, yeah, that was after. Mm -hmm. But, you know, she said that she would put her hands on the Bible. And, so, and my mother don't lie. And I tell you what, when I was coming up as a child, if I told a lie or said a cuss word, besides eating a bar of ivory soap or that lie, lie soap, whatever, <laughs> I would get a switch across the butt and straighten you up. And I took a many of whoopings in school and at home because when I got one in school for cutting up or something, you know. But, you know, I come to think about this stuff. Even when I was going to school, they, uh, one of my teachers called, called my mother in for a meeting. She said, he said, I don't know why. He said, but Calvin's mind, is, instead of being right here on math or something, he's off flying airplanes or something in his own mind. Uh, and that was, that man made a district attorney in Laurel, you know, so an attorney there now. Mm -hmm. So I guess I tried to think of different things besides school. I never did like school, mm -hmm. and I took the bruises for it. Calvin, I'm enjoying the conversation here. Let me take the bottom of the hour break, and we'll come back for more conversation, okay? Good deal. Thank you. This is Calvin Parker, and his brand new book is called Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter, My Story. If you simply typed in Pascagoula, that's P-A-S-C-A-G-O-U-L-A, Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter, that should pop up, uh, and it'll take you to a number of places perhaps Amazon. The website of his publisher is Flying 
discpress.blogspot.com. Once again, the publisher for Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter, my story is flyingdiscpress.blogspot.com. I'm Scott Colborn. We're talking with Calvin Parker, our special guest on Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Next week is Lynn Robinson, Loving to the End and On, A Guide to the Impossibly Possible. As we go to our break here at the bottom of the hour, I'll remind you that KZUM Radio is about $2,000 away from achieving their goal of $40,000. It's so important to hit this before the end of September, our fiscal year, so that we can qualify again through the Corporation for Public Broadcasting for grant monies and funds. Your money, therefore, goes a long, long ways. We'd love to hear from you, either in the studio or online, and I'll give you both of those now. 402-474-5086, extension 1. That number again is 402-474-5086, extension 1. Or you can make your donation online at kzum.org. $89.30, we're looking for a couple of folks at that level. $60, we're looking for a couple of people at that level. 402-474-5086, extension 1, or kzum.org. Stay tuned for more conversation coming up with our special guest, Calvin Parker. Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for This Week in Lincoln comes from The Bay, The Bourbon Theater, Duffy's Tavern, and The Zoo Bar. This is live music happening this week in Lincoln. Today, Saturday, September 15th, brings Big Daddy Caleb and the Chargers to The Zoo Bar at 6, followed at 9 by the rewrite. That's what's happening this week in Lincoln. Celebrate our diverse city that has supported community radio for 40 years this year. KZUM's Arts and Culture Festival runs 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. on Saturday, September 29th at Antelope Park. With local vendor booths, food trucks, art, and live music by Sidewalk Chop. The Derailers. 23rd Vibration. Verse in the Vices. Adam Soul Music and Paddywhack. Join us for this free celebration of the community, September 29th at Antelope Park. Find out more at kzum.org. You're listening to KZUM's Final Fund Drive of 2018, a week when we're counting on you to help us make our goal for the fiscal year. 
As we close out the year-long celebration of 40 years on the air, remember, your support makes KZUM's increasing presence in the community possible. Just this year, listener support has helped us bring over a dozen Nebraska artists to international stages at the Folk Alliance Conference and South by Southwest. Bring more free music than ever before to Stransky Park. Present Democracy Now!'s Amy Goodman and Lincoln. Schedule a community-wide arts and culture festival to celebrate our city's diversity. And so much more. Please help this work continue so that even more people in our community can come to experience their city. Donate now at kzum.org or by calling 402-474-5086, extension 1. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing Black Mountain River. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Scott Colborn with Jim Shorty and you guys and gals. We are exploring unexplained phenomena. It's great to have you with us. Our special guest is Kelvin Parker, who makes his home on the river, the Pascagoula River, where he had that encounter with his coworker and friend, Charles Hickson, in October of 1973. As is the case, Kelvin, with some people that have had close encounters, there isn't just a single event. Some of the people report that they have, as time goes by, multiple encounters with sometimes these same beings. Did these beings, or specifically that woman, did they ever come back and see you again? Well, um, back in, 90, in the 90s, I was on a fishing trip, and while I was fishing, I lost probably, uh, I, well, matter of fact, I was just going out and going be home before dark the next thing i knew it was three four o'clock in the morning and i was missing a lot of time in there so that's when i went up to bud hopkins when i hunted down bud hopkins because i knew he had a book on missing time yes and i wanted to know more about it mm -hmm. and i hunted bud hopkins up and he hypnotized me and what come out of that was really shocking to me uh Matter of fact, I hadn't read all the transcripts of being hypnotized because I don't want to get ahead. I want to take it as I remember it. And my memory is slowly coming back because he put a post-hypnotic suggestion in my head where, you know, I wouldn't remember it till I got to where I could handle it. And all this is in the book. It's all transcribed out. We got to, Philip was able to get the original 
tape where this happened, and it was a long session in there. And when he got it, I didn't even remember being hypnotized. I had no clue. But I did have a friend with me and that I took with me because I didn't want no... I had seen shows and acts in Las Vegas where they hypnotize a whole crowd and make them do stupid stuff. Yeah. And I didn't want to get into a situation where somebody put something in my head. So I took a friend that I could trust with me, a well-educated man, and uh, he was with me there when it happened. Did you see Bud then in New York City, or did he travel to you? Or Actually, this friend of mine uh, heard that he was going to be in Florida. My friend lived in Tampa, Florida, and he was down to see me, and he had heard about Bud going to be in Florida at a conference. So we got in a car and we drove to Florida, and I made this friend of mine, or I asked him to go in and find Bud and tell him I wanted to see him. Of course, I didn't know Bud from anybody and never met him. So he walked in, and I didn't want nobody to know I was there because I didn't want nothing to do with the conference. Right. He walked in and told Bud, before he went up to speak, Bud said, y'all go to my motel room. I want to see him, and I'll be there in an hour, hour and a half. Sure enough, about an hour, he showed up at the motel. And we sat down, and we talked a pretty good while. And uh, before it was over, he asked if he could hypnotize me, and I agreed. And he had his tape recorder, and he turned it on. And now from there on, I don't remember being hypnotized. That was a shock when I found out I was even hypnotized. And the way it came up, uh, when I was doing the book, I told Philip, I said, you know, I got to meet Bud Hopkins because Bud Hopkins was a good friend of Philip's. Well, he said, well, Bud passed away. I said, well, I went there, and he was talking about hypnotizing me. But I don't believe it ever happened. Well, that got Phillips' attention. He said he called David Jacobs, which is taking care of Bud's files, and asked if he could get the tape where I was hypnotized. Well, we didn't know if I was ever hypnotized or anything on it. When he got it, that was shocking. It took him probably a week uh, to filter through all of it. And then when he sent the transcripts to me that he was going to put into the book, I was shocked. I had no clue when I started reading it that I was even there. So uh, it was all new to me. Calvin, have you, me a little... have you had the chance through Philip or anybody else to hear that audio tape? Oh, I've got a copy of it, yes, sir. Have you listened uh, to it? I have not. It's laying in there. Philip took the tape and he made had someone make a CD out of it. Right. And he mailed me a copy of the CD. And uh, it's laying in there by my computer. And I want to, you don't know at the times I want to pick it up, plug it in, and listen to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to get ahead of my memory. I don't want that. I, I guess what I'm saying, I don't want it to affect what I remember any at all. So... The only parts I listen to is where uh, my memory stops. Uh, and I had an interview with Linda Howe, and she mentioned something about something in the tape. And then my memory kind of got up to there, and I went and listened to it up to there. But I just listened to it as I remember it. Mm -hmm. 
But uh, it was shocking to me. But I even remembered a tag number on the car that uh, was out there. That I vaguely remember the car. Somebody was out there parking that when we pulled up that night to go fishing. And on the tape, I called the tag number out just as clear as the day. And we've recently not, well, I check it when it come up and come to find out it was a couple out there that was parking. And that's what people used to do back then. And uh, they got married and he passed away and she's in a nursing home now. So it, you know, it was amazing to me, but I went to see them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they remember everything. They don't want to be t- uh, want their name called out or nothing. Mm-hmm. Have you... So uh, their stuff... Have you and your wife had children? We have. We and have a daughter. Go ahead, she, tell uh, And she's... Uh, married to a dentist and she's a dental hygienist and they got a business going on and uh, you know I've never talked about this really with her up until here recently and she found out I was doing a book but she's never had any kind of experiences that I know of or had mentioned it now her daddy-in-law is a ghost hunter he's into the paranormal law and you know she goes out with him sometime I think for I don't know how she feels about all of it. To be honest, we mm-hmm. never talk about none of it. Mm-hmm. Well, now but, that your book, she does like. Now that your book is out, Kelvin, um, have you had a chance to talk to some of the people around you that have known you for a while, and and have they seen or read your book? Well, they're in the process now. Uh, I had a friend that bought. Uh, 20 copies of it here the other day and he owns a business and he's handed that to people that I used to work with and letting them read it and my friends and my I just have a few friends down here and I've I done that on purpose because uh, you know we just all fish together and we'd see each other during the summer we all had camps down here originally then we'd see each other during the summer and uh, get together on the holidays and stuff like that. And now they buying the books and uh, starting to read them a little bit, but I've never talked to them about them. Now, I've invited them all. We're having a book signing in Pascagoula, October 11th. It's on a Thursday night, this coming October 11th. And they're all coming to the book signing. We're going to sit around, and I'm going to autograph books, and I'm going to tell them, you know, in my own version, uh, uh, tell them myself what I'm trying to say mm-hmm. about what happened. Because people's interested down here, the people that live around here, and it's even some of the people coming out of state. And I'll post a, I'll put it on Facebook, and I'll let everybody know what the address and all is and what time it is, when it's going to be. But they're going to shut down the main street in Pascagoula down there, one of the main streets. Mm-hmm. And everybody's coming up to that. And I'm really looking forward to having this book signing because my family's going to be there. My friends is going to be there. The people that live local is going to be there and some people from out of state. And I'm looking forward to meeting the people. This will be my first one 
and to interact and, and to, just to see what they think and feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kelvin, I've enjoyed my conversation with you, and, and you seem like a, a pretty okay guy. I think you'd be a fun guy to go out and fish with. Oh, thank you. Well, come down, let's go fishing. I'm ready. <laughs> Kelvin, as, as kind of my habit, I, I'd like to have you take the microphone, if you will, for a couple of minutes and uh, talk to my audience about what you feel is important about your experience, about your life, about your book? Well, that's pretty easy. The book, uh, for the people that's ever had any doubt in their mind, I think if they read this book, you know, they'll understand a little more about it and uh, uh, about different cases like this. Uh, I think the book testifies for itself. It gives you a clear understanding of what's going on. And if you want to believe, that's good. If you don't want to believe, that's fine, too. Because either way, it don't matter to me because I know what happened. I was there, and I believe because I was there. And I did this for my family, for my friends, and for the people that live local in the state here that I disrupted their life when all this happened. Now, I, I guess I'm taking blame for the abduction, but, you know, it wasn't my fault. It was like somebody coming in and kidnapping you and throwing you in a van, a home invasion or something. But, uh, and one of the lessons I learned from this, if something does happen to you, write it down, document it, find a professional and talk to them. And another thing, Everybody is in such a hurry with their lives. What what anybody needs to do is just kind of slow down and live life as it comes and not uh, not be in a hurry, not lose your temper. We live too fast in this world. And, you know, I think a person should find their heart first and then live their own life like they want to. So Well said, Calvin I've thrown away a lot of my life. You know, because I hid from the press, I wish, you know, I would have come forward to start with. Yep, that was but well said, Kelvin. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. The best to you and your wife, uh, to your daughter, to your family. And um, it's so important, Kelvin, for people like yourself to come forward and to tell their story. So it, I salute you. You're a very courageous guy. And I hope by you telling your story, it also empowers other people out there who may have had similar experiences to begin to come to grips with what they've experienced. Ultimately, we're all after the truth, aren't we? That's exactly right. And that's one reason I'm looking forward to this book signing. I know it's other witnesses out there and people that seen this mm-hmm. and people that has their own experiences. And I wanna take the time I'm getting there early, uh, on that Thursday, so I'll be able to talk to people and visit with them and hear their stories. I know everybody's tired of hearing mine. I wanna hear their stories for a change and see what's happened to them and see how it's affected their mm-hmm. life. Because I'm wide open here 
And that's why I'm looking so forward to this book signing. I believe, Kelvin, we're Facebook friends, so you be sure and let me know when that event comes around, and I'll be, sh I'll be uh, happy to let my Facebook friends know about that, too. I'll go on there today and uh, post it, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, and many, many days and nights of good fishing to you, my friend. Thank you again for taking the time to be with us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Calvin Parker. Calvin calls from Mississippi. We talked about his brand new book, Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter, My Story. You'll read more about this at his publisher's website, flyingdiscpress.blogspot.com. I know that when I typed in Pascagoula, the closest encounter, um, the Amazon link popped up for the book as well. I found a really interesting WLOX.com story that I put in my newsletter about an interview recently with Calvin Parker. I thought that was really well done. Thanks to Philip Mantle for his help in helping us connect, Calvin and I. And to Calvin, I wish you the best, sir. Hey, we've got a great show next week, as we always do. What'd you think about this show, huh? Wow. Next week's guest is Lynn Robinson, Loving to the End and On, A Guide to the Impossibly Possible. We're in the waning moments, the closing moments of our show here today. And I'll remind you again that we're just so close to achieving that $40,000 goal for KZOM. We're within $2,000 now. Call us with a donation at 402-474-5086, extension 1, or go online and make your donation for $89.30, for $60, for $35, for $120, KZUM.org and make your donation to support this wonderful 40 years of KZUM radio. And if you want to help us celebrate early the 34th birthday, 34 years of being on air with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena, that's cool too. Thanks for being out there. Thanks for my friend Jim, coffee maker extraordinaire. I'm fully caffeinated and I'm ready for the day. My thanks again to Calvin Parker for being our guest this morning. And thanks especially to you guys and gals for being out there. It's good to know that you're out there. My friend Vic is in the studio. Stay tuned for Mesoterra coming up in just a matter of minutes. And I don't know that I can top what Calvin Parker said. To slow down and take each day as it comes. Those are pretty wise words. So I'm just going to say until next week walk in beauty.
Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from Lincoln Calling. The annual music festival celebrates 15 years, September 19th through the 23rd in downtown Lincoln, featuring over 40 acts including Pixel Grip, Kind Country, Anna St. Louis, Boneheart Flanagan, and more. Plus, interactive workshops, art, and an outdoor night market. Tickets and more at lincolncalling.com. Support for KZUM comes from Lincoln Calling presenting Finding the Right Sound, a panel discussion with hands-on demonstrations and performances with musicians and DJs, including John Friedle, Brian Day, and Derek Jamison, among others. Open to the public at the Malone Center on Saturday, September 22nd from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. More on Facebook and lincolncalling.com. My name is Jason Varga. I'm the executive director of Cause Collective. So I've been listening to uh, KVM for almost 40 years, believe it or not. My stepdad, when I was young, had a show and he brought me on. So my first experience was, was really fun. I was, of course, shy to say something, but we did, uh, I think we did a little PSA for, for KVM. And that was, that was near 40 years ago. Um, about three years ago, Cause Collective started a wonderful partnership with KZUM and um, we're able to have our own show on there, uh, which helps our members, other nonprofits, agencies, uh, educate the community and the listeners uh, about what's going on in Lincoln. So that's been a great partnership. And I think if there were no KZUM, uh, Lincoln would be much worse off. You know, it's, it's, it's proven throughout the years, the many years it's been around, uh, its effectiveness and with the, the number of listeners that tune in and I hear each week say how, how much they like not just the music but learning about the community and all the, the variety of music and the emphasis with local music. It's, a, it's just invaluable what uh, the listeners in Lincoln are getting. 
This is Jason Varga encouraging you to give to KZUM now at kzum.org or 402-474-5086, extension 1. Welcome to that place that is far from commercial culture and just this side of the abstract. 
It's a place I call Mesoterra. My name is Vic Valverde, and uh, I'll be playing a lot of music today. Uh, just a, sort of a mishmash of all kinds of things that we always do here on this program. We opened up with some uh, two-tone ska, the selector, and missing words. Well, you know, um, if you've been listening to KZUM all this week, you know that we sort of extended our fund drive because we need to reach that goal of $40,000, and we're very, very, very close to it. Um, So I'm going to ask you today, the listeners, that if I could get at least one donation at $89.30 or uh, maybe two donations at $60, you know, that would really make my day. And I think that would help us get a little bit closer to that goal. And so I want to give us a call 402-474-5086 or you could donate online at kzum.org. Okay, I'm going to get you caught up music-wise with, uh, I'll be playing some new stuff, I'll be playing some old stuff, mixing it up like I usually do. And coming up next, I've got the Ramones. Are you ready for some Ramones? I think you are. <laughs> 